Good morning, church. It's great to be with you again this weekend as we continue our series entitled Navigating Life. And today we focus on a topic really of of significance and, and pretty great importance when it comes to the whole subject of navigation. It's the idea really within the Bible, the promise that guidance happens, that guidance is available in the lives of God's people. The writer of the Psalms puts it this way in Psalm 48. For this, God is our God forever and ever, and he will be our guide even to the end. Those words, he will be our guide. That particular attitude and attribute of God is is something that most of us have depended on or turned to at at least some point in our lives. There was a study done not too long ago by the Pew Research Institute, and here's what they found. 55% of North Americans say that they pray every day. Not a surprise there, perhaps. 23% said that they pray weekly or monthly. But here's what was most interesting to me in the study. 23% of those who identify themselves as religiously unaffiliated. So these these are not people of faith, or at least not people who identify with a faith tradition. 23% of those say still they pray every day. I think that number, that 23%, in addition to all the others, but they say something really significant about who we are at our very core. Because regardless of where you are in your own journey, your own journey with Jesus, all of us live with this deep awareness that on our own, we don't always have what it takes. And it just doesn't matter our age or expertise or the number of books that we might have read along the way, there will come a time in our lives And maybe for some of you, that time is right now when something happens. And when it happens, the illusion of self-control that we have guarded and comforted ourselves with for so many years, it all comes crumbling down. and And it really becomes quite clear that we don't know what to do or we don't know where to turn. What we need is guidance. That Revelation has been part of the human experience from the very earliest of times. The prophet Jeremiah speaks about that reality. He's speaking in the middle of a really turbulent time for God's people, just before they're about to be forced off into exile. This is what he says in Jeremiah 10 and verse 23. He says, I know, O Lord, that the way of human beings is not in their control, that mortals, as they walk, cannot direct their steps. Well, perhaps if you're like me, you realize that those words don't take an awful lot of convincing to believe. We know, and we've been saying now for five weeks, that that things just have a way of happening. Stuff happens. Life happens. Whatever your master plan was, detours happen. Divorce happens. Layoffs happen. Unexpected changes surface at work. You're left asking the question, do I go or do I stay? And as all of that happens, we realize that still we have to keep moving. That's the hard truth, isn't it? We have to keep moving. Time keeps ticking away. We have to move forward in a world where we can't 
anymore predict the outcome. We don't feel in control, and, and we have to try and navigate as best we can, and we don't always know the way. Lord, the way of human beings, it says in Jeremiah, is not in our control. As mortals, we don't know the way. Again, the reality is that life happens. Stuff happens. We can't predict the future, and yet we have to keep stepping forward into it. So the question really I want to look at today with you is the question of how. How do we do that? How do we continue to make choices? How do we align our will to the will of God when stuff keeps happening? And so with those questions in mind, we're going to turn now to Psalm 25. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to flip open to that chapter in Psalm 25. This is one of the Psalms written by King David. King David had a lot of stuff that happened in his life. He had an affair. He was complicit in an affair and a plot to see somebody murdered. He was deceptive. Now he has men who are trying to kill him. Never a good place to be. And now you find him where he's just stuck. He doesn't know where to go. So David is at a particular moment in his life when he writes this prayer. It's, it's clear that he is in a bind. And he asks God for guidance. But look at how he begins his prayer. This again is Psalm 25 in verse 1. He says, Unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And O oh my God, I trust in you. Before we go any further in the psalm, I just want to focus for a minute or two on that opening line, because not only is it the the beautiful entryway into lots of great worship choruses and songs, but but I think it's important for what it doesn't say. David doesn't begin the way that maybe I'm inclined, maybe you're inclined to want to begin. He doesn't say, God help me, do I choose option A or do I choose option B? Should I go right or should I go left? Instead, he begins by saying, unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. That little word soul, such an important one. It's used a little bit in the Bible. It's used a lot in popular language, but it can be a difficult one to try and understand, particularly as it's used in the Bible. The best that we can figure is that when the biblical writers are using the word soul, what they mean is the innermost part of a person, including an individual's thoughts and their feelings, along with their heart and their will, with their intents and their choices. What they didn't mean is sort of a disembodied little spark uh, that is in us and floats out of us at the moment of our death. No, this was something that was inward but real. And David, before God, when he asks what he should do, asks first if God would help him to align his soul, his innermost being, his heart, his will, his intentions, if he would align that with God's heart, with God's will, with God's intentions. That's important. So hold on to that. And what I'd like to do for just a minute is contrast the prayer of David with another prayer that we see in the Old Testament, with the prayer of a contemporary of David, a man who finds himself in a similar bind. His name was Saul. Saul was actually David's predecessor. Saul was the first king of Israel. 
And at one point, we find Saul, who's stuck in the same circumstances that David is stuck in. So keep your thumb in, in Psalm 25, but, but flip back to 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel 28, we read these words. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was so afraid that his heart began to beat wildly. Saul's praying to God. He's praying in this moment of desperation, and he doesn't think God hears him. He he doesn't think God is answering him. He's frantic to know what he should do next. God, do I turn left or do I turn right? So here's what he does. I mean, this is crazy, but you can't make this up. It's there in the Bible. He's frantic to know what he should do, so he consults a medium. He consults a medium to bring back the prophet Samuel, who had died some years before, so that he can consult Samuel, and Samuel might tell him what to do. I know it's crazy, right? A medium in those days was a person who purported to commune with the dead. So if you wanted to talk to a dead relative or to, um, uh, to a dead expert, you went to a medium. I mean, weird, right? Who in our modern world would possibly fall for such things? It's a multi-million dollar industry in our world. You read on in 1 Samuel, and this is what comes in, in verse 15. This is the word that comes to Saul. Purportedly, Samuel speaking says, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in deep trouble, Saul replied. You better believe he is. I'm in deep trouble. The Philistines are at war with me, and God has turned away from me. And he no longer answers me by prophets or by dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what to do. Now skip down a little bit to verse 18. In verse 18, Samuel explains to Saul why it is that it feels like the Lord has kept silent. Verse 18, the Lord has done this very thing to you today because you didn't listen to the Lord's voice. A little bit of important background here. Saul is the the first king of Israel, as we mentioned, but he's not a great king. He's chosen the way of power, he's chosen the way of jealousy, he's chosen the way of deception and ego. He's, he's long since given up on trying to live his life in alignment with and in relationship with God, who really is the one who set him on the throne in the first place. He is the first king Israel ever had. Israel dragged itself kicking and, stre- and screaming into this situation He said, God, we want a king. Everybody else is a king. We need a king. God said, you don't know what you're asking for, but eventually, out of love, acquiesces, and now they have their king, and he's a terrible king. And so Saul here is inquiring about the will of God. Why? So he can make choices. What kind of choices? The same kind of choices he's made all along, the kind of choices that protect his own self-interest. Samuel's response to Saul. It says something that, that is right at the center of our discussion about guidance. This is so important. If you, if you take away nothing else from today's message, take this with you. We cannot know the will of God without first knowing God. Now, that may sound really simplistic, 
but it's as much as it's rudimentary, it's also intrinsic to the concept of guidance and to any conversation about the will of God. You cannot know the will of God without first knowing God. There's a key difference between the way that Samuel prays and the way that Saul prayed. There's a difference between how Samuel, or between how David asked for guidance and between how Saul asked for guidance. David begins his prayer how? Unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. To you I submit my will, my intentions, my desires. Saul wants to satisfy his desires, his intentions. David gives his intentions over to God. Saul wants guidance without really knowing the guide. David says, unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I need to know the guide from whom all things flow. There's an important truth here for us, friends. So often my prayers, maybe yours, are motivated by intentions and anxieties that I have yet to fully offer to God. I come with the request before I come with all the stuff that's underlying the request. And so we pray to God, God, would you guide us in success at our work? Because unknowingly, we're terrified by a reality in which we're not successful at work. And that's something we don't want to offer to God. We ask that God will rebuild this relationship where there's pain. But we've never offered that pain to God. We never offered or asked God to address those things in our lives that led to the pain. We pray to God that our kids are going to get into the right schools and make the right choices. But underneath that is the fear that if they don't or if they make the wrong choices, it reflects on us and it means we failed as parents. We haven't offered that to God. Writer of one of the great books on my shelf called Hearing God about the will of God Dallas Willard says, I fear that many people seek to hear God solely as a device for obtaining their own safety, comfort, and sense of being right. My extreme preoccupation with knowing God's will for me, Willard writes, may only indicate, contrary to what is often thought, that I'm over-concerned with myself, not a Christ-like interest in the well-being of others for the glory of God. So here's a challenge for the week. As you find those quiet, sacred moments before God in prayer, what if this week we changed our approach to prayer? We changed the nature of our prayers. What if we prayed more like David and a little less like Saul. Let me encourage you to try that this week, just to venture into that unexplored territory if it's new for you. If there's a situation where you're seeking God's guidance, set aside those times to pray, but begin those prayers with this simple statement. To you, God, I offer my soul. I give you my intentions I give you my desires, my motives. I want to look at all those things closely with you. And as painful as it may be, God, I know that you're going to be with me in that prayer. And I know that you're going to make me more like Jesus as we do it. 
Whenever you encounter a situation, you're not sure which way to go, particularly you have a choice to make, a hard conversation to navigate, you're facing a tough parenting moment, there's a moment of fear awaiting you in the future, pause just for a minute. And before you ask for A or B, lift up your soul. It's kind of like the prayer before the prayer. It's the one that places you in alignment with the guide before you ask for the guidance. For some of us, I I know that's going to be a really hard thing to do uh, because it means we have to relinquish something in order to do that. What we have to relinquish is the idea of control because you don't seek the guidance of another person when you believe that you're in control. It's why men, hands up, we never want to stop and ask for directions when we're lost. Because that means admitting that we are lost and we're not as in control as we think we are. Notice what David says. He says, in you I put my trust. It takes trust to lift up your soul. There's a real sense of vulnerability there. When we have the courage to do it, what we're really doing is placing our lives at the mercy of another, the one in whom we have put our trust. And folks, for those of us who live in this generation, in the GTA, in a culture that preaches and cherishes the gospel of self-reliance and innovation, this idea of saturating or submitting our will to the will of another, that seems weak. Maybe it's even foolish. And that seems especially true when it feels like, like those who look in have nothing but denigrating things to say about those who submit their will to God. In fact, this was sometimes a challenge even for the writers of Scripture. Given what Scripture says about our will and about the will of God, have a look at Isaiah 55 and verse 9. It says, God, your ways are not my ways. How many times have you said that? But unpack what that means. God's saying, if I'm going to guide you, there will come a moment, there will come a fork in the road when your will and my will will divide. They will be different. And your intuition and my call on your life will be different. And when that moment comes, I'm going to need you to trust me. And that's not easy. And it's not weak-minded and it's not foolish. But it is hard. Who do you trust most? And as you're thinking about the answer to that, who it is that you trust today, let me, let me ask you to think about this. How, how is that working for you? I mean, be honest. Maybe the honest answer is I really trust myself. And, and you know what? Up until now, that's been going okay. And I'm going to keep running in that lane for the time being. And if that's you today, if that's you as you're watching, let me just say God doesn't abandon you there. I don't think God is waiting for you to mess up so that he can run away and turn his back on you and never come back. Our guide is not a guide who leaves us when we go the other way. But when the day comes, when the point comes that you need to trust someone who is outside of yourself because you've run up against the limits of what you can do and realized you're no longer in control, God will be there. But don't expect it to be easy. 
And don't expect to know the will of God instantly when you've never taken the time to get to know the guide. Hard to know the guidance without knowing the guide. So here you have David, he lifts his soul, this great act of trust, and he continues his prayer starting in verse 4. Here's what he says. He says, make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths, and lead me in your truth, and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, and for you I wait all the day long. A beautiful verse. Note the development that's happening here in the prayer. David has surrendered his soul, that that inner part of himself that we talked about. He's offered up his trust, and now he's able to pray with integrity, your ways, God, your paths, God, your truth, God. Combine those statements really speak to David's desire to live according to what we might call God's will. And isn't that what the followers of Jesus aspire to, to live in God's will? Let me, let me say a little bit about that, because God's will can be a tricky thing to understand. There exists, I think, within certain Christian communities, this idea that God has a detailed plan for each of our lives, unique and written down somewhere in scrupulous detail, and that the point of our lives is to discern what that will is at every stage and to follow it as best we can. That God has one plan for us, one school for us to attend, one person for us to marry, one life for us to live. And if we don't identify that person, if we didn't go to that school, if we don't live that life, then we're actually living outside of the will of God. And that notion, well, it, it sounds like it should be right is actually the source of a great deal of anxiety and sometimes even fear and paralysis around the choices that we make. What if you're convinced that you're married to the wrong person? What do you do then? Is it ever possible to live within God's will? What if you're so fearful of picking the wrong school that you can't pick? And you're just crippled by the stress and anxiety of it. If you look at the New Testament, the teaching that we find there around the will of God is actually remarkably simple. Turn in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians in chapter 5, here Paul writes to the church and he gives them this warning. Here's what he says in Ephesians in chapter 5 and verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you get the sense here that the Bible is talking about some secret plan that we have to spend our lives discovering? That's not what's at stake here at all. To do God's will is to make the most of every opportunity that God places before us. In fact, the Greek word that is there that we translate every opportunity is the word kairos. And if you've been with us, you've heard that word before. Literally, it's the word time. 
And so some translations, you might have this in front of you, would say, make the most of the time. And it's time not measured qualitatively, like the hours, but make the most of the time quantitatively. You, you might have 10 important decisions to make in your life right now, and there are a 100 possible pathways that could lead from that choice. And you might wish that God would tell you exactly which way to go and exactly which college to choose and exactly which job to take. But Jesus only really asks that you make sure that your heart is good, that it's aligned to God, that your motives are pure, that the basic orientation, the direction of your life is correct. Is it oriented towards knowing God better? Is it oriented towards loving those people that that he has placed in your sphere of influence? Is it oriented towards bringing the kingdom of God, its values, just a little bit closer in the world. And friends, that means in good conscience, we can actually choose from among a number of different good alternatives and continue to live in the will of God. So those of you who are facing decisions right now around work or around family or relationships, That should lighten the burden. It should diffuse some of the pressure you're feeling around making a choice. I mean, sometimes there are are moments in Scripture where God makes it crystal clear what he wants people to do. Moses and the burning bush, that would be a, a good example. But it isn't always the case. More often than not, what we see is people who are following Jesus, who are given the remarkable freedom to walk through several different doors as they may choose. So long as they make the choice being aligned to the guide as they do so. So you bring your intentions. You bring your motives. You bring your soul to God. You place yourself in community. You join a small group. You seek the wisdom of others in that community. You're active in reading scripture. Those are all great and important things. But then at the end of the day, you make a choice. You choose And you make the right choice by living out God's will in the circumstances that follow. There's actually, there's a great book on this topic. I don't know that it's still in print. It's called The Will of God as a Way of Life, written by a man named Jerry Sitzer. And many years before he wrote the book, um, Sitzer says, you know, he was involved in a terrible, tragic car accident. His car was hit head-on by a drunk driver, and in that accident, his wife, his daughter, his mother were all killed. And he said as a result of that that singular, life-changing, tragic experience, he really started wrestling with what it meant to live out the will of God. Could this really be the will of God for my life? And he makes an observation that I I think is so key, so critical to our conversation today. This is what he says. The only moment we have to both know and do God's will is the present moment. This one right here. How often do we get caught up in the anxiety of trying to determine God's will for the next 10 years of our lives, 
looking way down the road. We do that at the expense of knowing and loving and living in God's will. In the only moment we actually have to do that, and that's right now, today. Let's look back in, into Psalm 25 again. After David has offered his prayer to God and, and laid his heart up before him, this is what he says in verse 10. All the paths of the Lord, whatever direction you've chosen, they're steadfast with love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. Hear that again. It's a beautiful promise. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. I mean, that word is so important. When we're praying for direction, usually what we're praying for is that God would guide us towards some particular circumstance. What God is actually guiding us toward is the person that we become in the middle of that circumstance. I'm not at all convinced that God's primary will for our lives is where we go to school or where we go to work or where we raise our families. His primary will for our lives is who we become in Christ. And all the parts of our story, however unexpected, however difficult, can actually serve as an opportunity for God's guidance. As we continue walking within those decrees that he's given to us, the Holy Spirit surrounding us from one moment to the next moment to the next one after that, that's that's the way the guidance of God really works. When I was... 14 years old. I, I'm not sure how your memory works. This one just came at me out of the blue this week. But I was thinking back to when I was 14 years old. I was on a week-long canoe trip through Algonquin Park. It was led by a cheerful little man. Ian Muldrum was his name. He didn't look anything like an outdoorsman. He had a round face and a round body to match. But boy, could he paddle a canoe. I mean, he paddled like lightning. Uh, and I was often tip bow way out of the water because the weight was in the back. But that only that only served to propel it even faster because you could get his paddle down into the water that much more. Well, I remember a day when we were crossing Big T Lake. It's one of the big Muskoka lakes, and it's a it's a tough crossing because it's long. And at one point there is no shoreline, and so you have to time it just right. And and for whatever reason we didn't time it right, and we got out there in the middle of Big T Lake. And one of those enormous Muskoka storms rolled in. And you know they can roll in quickly. And those are incredible events to watch when you're watching from the shore. It's like God's pyrotechnic show. The lightning, the thunder, the color, the pelting rain. Uh, It's like free fireworks when you're watching from the shore. It's not so exciting when you're watching from the middle of the lake while you're sitting in an aluminum canoe. And so the cry went out from Ian Maldrum that we were going to have to paddle and paddle fast and paddle hard and head towards the nearest shore. And 
And at 14, I wasn't about to admit it to anybody, but I was pretty scared. I was sitting there in the front of the canoe, and I actually had Ian in the back of the canoe while we were going. There I was in the front. I couldn't see him, but I could hear him. I could hear his calm voice, his confident voice saying, Richard, just keep paddling. Just keep paddling. When it comes to God's guidance, I I think often we want a road map. What we what we really want is Google Maps, something like Siri's voice saying, in two miles, turn left, then be prepared to turn right. But I think so often God is he's a lot less like Siri than the one who's at the back of the vo- of the boat, just saying with a calm, confident voice, just keep paddling. Just keep going. There's something to that. To knowing that you're not alone. To knowing the guide and knowing that he's there with you in the boat. Just keep going. Just keep loving that awful coworker, Or that person sitting opposite you in the meeting. Or on the sofa. Or that person, that neighbor across the street, or the child that you love who's broken your heart again and again and keeps making decisions you don't agree with. Just keep going. And I'll guide you in that. And sure, God doesn't always give the roadmap, but, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know what the shoreline is that we're headed towards, the safe shoreline that he's promised, and he's promised that the destination is good. So as we close our time today, let me take you back to those words from Romans that have been the anchor point for this series. Let's, let's read them together one more time. In fact, let's do it by heart first. Romans eight twenty eight. you ready? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's try it again. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Friends, you have been called. Your life has been designed according to his purpose. It doesn't mean there's a secret roadmap sitting somewhere and that it's your role to divine what it is. It means that we have a guide who made us and who is with us And we have a destination, and it's safe, and it's secure. We may not have the map, but we have Jesus. We have Jesus who went to the cross on our behalf, who overcame sin and death and all that is wrong with the world, and now says, it will be good. I promise, where we're going, it will be good. And until that day, just keep lifting up your soul. Keep giving your intentions. Keep listening for my voice. Keep trusting in whatever you do. Keep paddling. You're not alone. I'm here with you. I invite you to bow your head with me and we'll spend a few minutes praying together. Father, we take these moments 
to pause and to reflect with gratitude on all the ways that you have been with us and all those moments where we felt you guiding us. Thank you for the promise that you've not left us alone and that you will continue to guide us and you will see us through to the very end and the end will be good. But God, we also want to admit today that sometimes it's hard to trust that promise. Sometimes it feels like we're there in the middle of the storm and there's no map, there's no guide. And God, if there is someone here who feels that way today, I pray on their behalf. I pray that somehow, whether it be through this community or through a trusted friend or, or through the still, small, comforting, calm voice of your spirit, that they would know that they are not alone. God, for the rest of us, I pray that you would continue to guide us. Forgive us when when we chalk your will up to some big and mysterious thing that we can never understand and instead help us to do the hard work, the hard, sometimes painful work of doing your will from moment to moment, of listening for you from moment to moment, of loving those in our spheres from moment to moment, of working to bring your kingdom into the world from moment to moment. God, we seek for your guidance in that. We ask for your grace in that. And we hear your voice whispering from the back of the boat, I'm here with you, and it's going to be good. We pray this together in Jesus' name. And together, God's people said, Amen.